following your Bibles, there's a lot of names in this passage, so uh, bear with me as we uh, read this, but it's in a very important passage as well. Genesis 46, and Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee unto Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose, rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his sons with his daughters, his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought, brought he with him into Egypt. And these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok and Phalu and Hezron and Carmi, and the sons of Simeon, Jamul and Jamin and Obed and Jachin and Zohar and Shul, the son of the Canaanitish woman, and the sons of Le Levi, Gershom and Kohath and Merari, and the sons of Judah, Ur and Onan and Shelah and Perez and Zerah, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan, and the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. And the sons of Issachar, Tola and Phua and Job and Shimron, and the sons of Zebulun, Sered and Elon and Jaleel. These be the sons of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob in Padanaram with his daughter Dinah. All the, all the souls of his sons and his daughters were thirty and three. And the sons of Gad, Ziphon, and Haggai, and Shuna and Esbon, and, and Eri, and Arodi, and Areli. And the sons of Asher, Jemna, and Ashua, and Ezua, and Bariah, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah, Hebron, and Michael. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bare unto Jacob, even sixteen souls. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph, and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. And the sons of Benjamin were Balah, and Becher, and Ashbel, and Jerah, and Naaman, and Ehi, and Rosh, and Mupin, and Huppam, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, which were born to Jacob. All the souls were fourteen. And the sons of Dan, Husham, and the sons of Naphtali, uh, Jazeel, and Gunai, and Jesser, and Shilam. These are the sons of Bilhah, which Laban gave unto Rachel his daughter, and she bare these unto Jacob, and the souls were seven. And the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt were two souls, and the souls of the house of Jacob which came unto Egypt were threescore and ten. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Verse 29, And Joseph made ready 
his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren and to his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you, and shall say, What is your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servants' trade hath been about cattle uh, from our youth even until now, uh, both we and also our father, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for, their, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land make thy father and thy brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before him. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nursed his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. Let's pray. Father, it's a lengthy account we've just read, but it tells the story of, Joseph, of Jacob moving his family to a new land of Egypt. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to glean from these, this story to, this morning lessons that we need to learn and help us to know that we too are like uh, Isaac was and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were and that is we are sojourners we are just pilgrims here on this earth and Lord I pray that we might uh, be faithful pilgrims for you as we travel this earth if anyone here has not been saved may today be this day of salvation for them we ask in Jesus name amen the account we read this morning is a detailed account of Jacob's and Jacob is Israel and God named him Israel, so he's called Israel and also Jacob in this passage. It's the account of his move, moving his family to Egypt. That account includes, as we just read, and I'm going to go through some of the things that it includes, it includes the route that they took. They left Hebron and they went to Beersheba. And then from Beersheba they went to, went to Egypt. And it also tells how they traveled. 
Of course, it doesn't say this, but they were beasts of burdens that they had to carry their things. But they carried their children and their wives and old Jacob. They let him ride in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent. It also tells who traveled with them. There's a long list if we just read it. And if you'll notice, all the, tw- all the 12 sons of, of Jacob are included in that list, including Joseph. And uh, so it includes Jacob and all his seed. And there's an emphasis on his seed. His seed would not include his daughter-in-laws because they were not his seed, but their children would be. And so it would include Jacob and all his seed. That means his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters. In addition to his seeds, there would also be his sons' wives, which are not listed, and also his daughters' husbands, if there were other daughters. And all his 11 sons and Joseph are mentioned and the children and their, their children and some of the grandchildren are mentioned. A total of 70, verse 27 tells us, and I did, I did a study and wrote them all down and figured it all out, and truly it is, is 70. And the number two verses before that that says 66, that's also correct, and we'll not explain all that, but uh, uh, that is, uh, of course, you can expect it to be correct because God said so. But it's 70 people of his seed. In addition to that would be others. And so there's probably at least 100 that went with him down into Egypt. It tells us who of his seed did not go down. And that's Ur and Onan because God killed them before the trip was made. God killed them because of their sin against the Lord. It also tells us who arranged the meeting of Joseph and Jacob. And he tells us that he chose Judah to do that. So Judah goes ahead and meets Joseph and then brings Joseph to where Jacob is and he institutes that meeting. It also tells us the details of the meeting of Joseph and Jacob after 22 years of being separated. And it says that that, uh, Joseph fell on Jacob's neck and he wept a long time. You know, 22 years and this son reunited with his dad and he weeps a long, long time, and his dad says, now let me die. It didn't mean that, okay, God, kill me now, but it meant, uh, you know, this is the culmination. I mean, this is the greatest blessing, and if I need to die, that's fine, because now I have my son back with me. It also tells us about Joseph's instruction to his brethren uh, before they met Pharaoh, and he told them, he said, now I'm going to go tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds. And I'm going to go tell them that you have flocks and herds that you're bringing. And, but when you meet with Pharaoh, you tell him, uh, uh, don't emphasize that, but tell him you take care of cattle. You know, you're accustomed to that. And you're good at that. Even though he will know that because that's what I'm going to tell him. And it just seems like he's tr- trying to set them up uh, for a, a good place in the land of Goshen. And the explanation of that is he tells them, in Egypt, shepherds are an abomination. In other words, the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. They looked down on shepherds. And so if you just, if we emphasize the fact that you're shepherds, and even the brothers did that when they met before Pharaoh, they said, we're shepherds. And if you emphasize that, he'll put you in this land of Goshen, and you'll be separated from everybody else. There'll be the lack of assimilation that uh, many times takes place, because I'm going to form you into a nation in the land of Egypt. And so uh, Joseph tells his brethren that. Joseph uh, meets, meets for his, with Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh about what's going on, that the children of Israel are, are there, 
And he told Pharaoh that my father and my brethren are come with their flocks, flocks and their herds, and they're right now in the land of Goshen. And so Joseph takes five of his brothers. He meets with Pharaoh. Then he takes five of his brothers and goes meets with Pharaoh as well. Out of those twelve, out of those eleven brothers, he probably picked the five who were most distinguished, the five he thought would make the best presentation to Pharaoh. But he picks out five. We're not told who they are. And he meets with Pharaoh. And uh, he, those five tell tell Pharaoh, "We are shepherds, and we have come to so- sojourn." because we have no pasture to feed our flocks, and there the famine is sore in the land of Canaan, and, the, and therefore let us dwell in Goshen. And so those five make that appeal to Pharaoh. The Bible tells us in this passage that Pharaoh said to Joseph, uh, let them dwell in Goshen. Uh, let them dwell there. And if you have any men of activity, that means any men are capable of overseeing then I will put them over my, my, my cattle, and I'll put them as rulers over my cattle. So then Joseph introduces jo- Jacob to Pharaoh, or Pharaoh to Jacob, and uh, he brings in his dad, and the Bible says that when his dad gets there, the first thing he does, he blesses Pharaoh. That's interesting, because Pharaoh's the big king. Jacob's just the guy who came down from Canaan with his family. And yet Jacob blesses Pharaoh. You know, the Bible tells us that the greater is blessed of the, uh, that the lesser is blessed by the greater. And so in this account, Jacob is the greater. That's not the way the world looks at it, but Jacob is the greater. And so uh, if you're serving the Lord and you're honoring the Lord, then you're greater in God's eyes than someone who's against him, and that was Pharaoh. And so he blesses Pharaoh. Also, Pharaoh says, how old are you? And he said, I'm 130. And he said, the year, few and evil have been my years. Now, if you were 130, you probably wouldn't say few have been my years. <laughs> That's a whole lot. Few and evil. Evil means bad. I mean, they, he's had a lot of hardship. doesn't mean wicked. It just means they've been bad, bad years in many ways. And, but he says, I haven't attained unto the years of my fathers. Well, those would be Abraham, his grandfather, and his dad, Isaac. Abraham lived to be 175 years, and Isaac lived to be 180 years. And so he says, I'm not as old as them. And then before he leaves Pharaoh, he blesses him again. He blessed Pharaoh. And then Joseph, the passage ends that Joseph places his family in the land of Goshen there and then takes care of them, makes sure they have food and all of that. And really you think about all the children, all that the people in Egypt were going through. Next week we'll look at it, and uh, they end up selling all their land, their possessions, just to buy food. And so they end up in poverty while God's people are in the land of Goshen, and Joseph's taking care of them. They're not losing possessions; uh, they are they are just being provided for while they're there. And so God really took care of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. And that's why so many people call them call Egypt the womb of the nation Israel because that's where it really developed into a nation. Now, the move to Egypt all turned out good. I mean, it turned out really good uh, for Jacob and, his, and his, his sons. Jacob had Joseph in his home for the first 17 years of Joseph's life. And it's interesting that now 
Jacob is going to be close to Joseph in the last 17 years of his life. And so he had 17 years at home with Joseph, and then he has 17 years at the end of his life with Joseph close by, and so it all turns out good. But when Jacob set out on his trip to Egypt, when he set out to make that move to Egypt, he didn't know all that. He didn't know it was going to turn out right. So it was not an easy thing for, ja- for Jacob to pack up and move to Egypt. You see, he had spent all but 20 years of his 130 years in the land of Canaan. The 20 years were when he was at Laban's house. But he spent 110 years in Canaan. And for him just to pack up everything that he had and leave, that was a big deal. He was leaving the familiar to go to the unfamiliar. He was leaving longtime neighbors to go to a place where he did not know anyone except Joseph, and he had not seen Joseph for 22 years. In fact, Joseph was an entirely different guy in lots of ways because he was his boy at home the last time he saw him. Now he's the ruler over the land of Egypt. And so he's going down to a strange country, no neighbors, and he was taking all of his family and all of his possessions with him. And if he made a mistake, then all of them are going to be hurt because he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He just knows that he's going to Egypt, and so this was a big deal for him to make that that move. But let's just step back for a few minutes this morning from the details of Jacob's move to Egypt. And we've looked at the details, we've read them, and then we summarized them. Let's look back, take a step back from that, and look at the whole picture and see if we can glean some lessons from Jacob's move to Egypt. Let me give you some lessons. The first one is this. When you are ready to make a big change in your life, make sure that you consult the Lord. You know, many people, they go by circumstances, a job offer or whatever it might be, and and they make some big change in their life, maybe move their family and everything, and never consult the Lord. It's always best. In fact, it's very necessary for us to consult the Lord when we make a big big choice in our life. You see, Jacob moved from Hebron to Beersheba, first of all. And he was going on past knowledge and also present circumstances. Now, the past knowledge he had was this. He had probably heard that God told his grandfather, Abraham, that the time would come when his seed would go to a land that was not theirs. They would sojourn in a land that was not theirs. That had not happened yet. And now he's getting ready to take all of his family to Egypt, and probably this came to his mind. God said this would happen. God told Abraham that would happen. That's found in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, if you want to look it up. He was also going, not only from that, but he was going on present circumstances. The present circumstances was he just found out that Joseph's alive. He just found out that his son he thought was dead is alive. He found out that he's ruler in the land of Egypt, and he found out that he has asked them to come to the land of Egypt and promised that he would take care of them. And then he looks out his tent, and there are the wagons. Now, that's present circumstances. 
And so he makes a choice, knowing God said that to Abraham, they would go to a land that was not theirs. And knowing that all things seem to fall in place and the wagons are waiting on them to go, he decides to make a move and he starts out. And he goes to Beersheba. Now, in Beersheba, he does something I believe that's very necessary. And that is he worships the Lord. He takes, he takes the altar, goes to the altar and he worships the Lord. And so Beersheba was a special place to Jacob and his family. Uh, it wasn't just somewhere he decided to stop. It was, no, he's leaving Hebron. I've got to go through Beersheba. Why Beersheba? Well, Beersheba was the place where, where um, Hagar had, had, had met the Lord and the Lord talked to her. Remember, Abraham had Hagar leave the home with Ishmael? And uh, the Lord spoke to her. Where was that? It was at Beersheba. Abraham built an altar at Beersheba. I'm not building an altar. Dwelt, uh, dug a well, had a well dug at Beersheba. And so there was a well there that was named after that occasion because there were seven, seven animals, you remember, that were dedicated to that purpose. And so this was the oath of the, the well of the oath or the well of the sevens, Beersheba means. And so he made that uh, agreement with Abimelech. And, uh, and so he made that agreement. And so Abraham dug a well there. Also, Abraham lived there for a while. And then we also know that Isaac lived in Beersheba. And that's where Jacob lived before he left Beersheba to go to Laban, where he ended up getting his wives. And so Beersheba is a special place. But the important thing is he worshiped the Lord there. He sacrificed and offered to the Lord. And then God responded to him and gave him what he needed to make this trip on down south to Egypt. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. He got Jacob's attention. And he says, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of, of your father and also your grandfather. But I'm the God of your father. He said, fear not to go down into Egypt. Now, why would he tell Jacob not to fear? Well, because probably Jacob feared. <laughs> you know, if God tells you to fear not, then it's probably evident that you're, you have fear in your heart. Why would Jacob have fear in his heart to go to Egypt? Well, you remember Abraham went to Egypt and got in trouble. Isaac started to go to Egypt and God stopped him and said, no, don't go down there. And now uh, Jacob's getting around, ready to go down to Egypt and he's not sure if this is what he should do or not. I know Joseph's down there and he said, come, but I'm not sure if I should do that. And so God appears and says, Jacob, Jacob, I am the God of your father, Fear not to go down into Egypt, and I will there make of you a great nation. I'm going to do in Egypt what needs to be done to make you a great nation. I will go down with you, he said, and I will bring you up again, and also your son Joseph will place his, his uh, hand on your eyes. Now, that means, Jacob, you're going to die in Egypt because it was the custom of the firstborn or the one who was most favored in the family when the, when the person died was to put their hand on their eyes and close their eyes. And he said, you will place your hand on your father's eyes. So he's telling, or rather, Joseph will place his hand on your eyes. 
And so uh, God tells him this at Hebron. So Jacob was wise to stop at Hebron. I mean, Jacob was wise to stop at Beersheba when he left Hebron on his way to Egypt. And it's wise for us when we make a big choice in our life, a big change in our life, to stop and worship the Lord and let him make sure that we're doing the right thing. Listen to him. And Jacob did that. Another lesson we learn from this or that we glean from this passage is God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. We know that from the Bible. We should know that in our own life. But sometimes we're faced with things that we don't know if God's going to keep his promise or not. We're so worried, and God says we should never worry. God says he'll work things together for good. God says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. God says he loves us and will always love us. Nothing can separate us from his love. He, we have promises from the Lord. And so uh, we need to know that God always keeps his promises. You see, God told Abraham, as we referred to in Genesis 15, 13, that his, his seed would go to a land that was not theirs. Jacob's getting ready to go there. God had kept his word. That was 200 years before that he gave that promise. And Jacob's getting ready to fulfill that because he's going down into the land of Egypt, a land that was not his. God had promised to Jacob, I will be with you. And he has been. God has promised to Jacob, I will keep you. And he has. He said, I will bring you again into the land. When he went to Laban's house, he said, I promise you, I'll bring you again into the land of Canaan. And he did. God had promised him that I will never leave you. And he never did leave, leave Jacob. God promised that he would multiply him. And he had. He had 70 of his own seed and plus others. And uh, he had a large family. But God had promised much more. And he knew that God was going to do that. God had never broke his promises. And you remember through Joseph's dreams, he found out that he was going to bow down to Joseph. He didn't want to do that. In fact, he rebuked Joseph when he told him that. And now Jacob's getting ready to go down to Egypt, and guess what he's going to do? Bow down to, bow down to Joseph. And so God's keeping his promises, and he always keeps his promises and he, we, a lesson we need to learn from this is that God always keeps his promises. You can count on the Lord. You can trust the Lord. You can have faith in God. He will do what he said he's going to do. And God will keep his promises. Another lesson is this. God works all together for good for his own. God works everything together for good for his own. Think of some of the bad things that happened in Jacob's life. And they all turned out good. But at the time, it didn't seem like it. Remember the threat by Esau to kill him. He was all disturbed. and He had to get out of town. And so Esau had said, I'm going to kill him. And, uh, and so his mom told uh, Jacob about that. And so they planned for him to get out of town. And uh, it looked like imminent danger. But God was working all things together for good because God wanted him out of town. And so God worked through that. Uh, he, he was deceived by Laban when he got there. You remember he worked for seven years for his wife Rachel. And they, Laban deceived him and gave him Leah. And then later gave him Rachel. And he was upset about that. And uh, God overruled in all that. That doesn't mean it was right for Laban to do that. It doesn't mean it was right for uh, Jacob to take that, those extra wives. That, that, he'll answer to God for that. doesn't mean it's right. But God overruled. 
And God is greater than our problems. God is greater than our sin. And God will work things together for good. And he found out that even though Laban deceived him, God worked together and gave him 12 children out of that. You remember the time he thought he lost Joseph? I mean, he was all distraught because Joseph was dead, he thought. And he went through a time of mourning. And yet he looked back and see, could see that God was working everything together for good. You see, when he thought Joseph was dead, he didn't look for him. You can imagine how he could have messed things up if he'd been looking for him. I mean, he's a wealthy man. He could have gone uh, looking for Joseph. He could have gone down into Egypt looking for him. Uh, he could have tried to inter- inter- intercede, but God just kept him away from that because God had things to do th- through Joseph's life down in Egypt, and so God was working that out for good. And you remember the lies of his sons uh, to Jacob? Now, J- Jacob didn't know he was lying to them, to him, but he, they were. And yet God allowed those lies that were given, God overruled and all that, and God uh, oversaw and God worked things out together for good. And uh, then there was the detaining of of Simeon. Remember, Simeon was detained down in Egypt, and his dad was all upset by that. And they said, we can't go back down unless Benjamin goes with us. And he was all upset about that, but he finally gave in. Now he looks back and says, you know, God was working all together for good because God was getting us down, them, them down there for a purpose. And then you remember the frustration of the brothers when they found the cup in Benjamin's sack. Oh, my. Everything is bad now. We've got to go back to Egypt. I guess we're just going to stay here. Dad's heart's going to be broken and all of that. Now, Jacob didn't know about that was going on, but it was happening in his family. But God worked it all together for good. Because in keeping Simeon down there and making Benjamin come back down there, it made them humbled before the Lord and brought them to a place where they would be willing to be reconciled to Joseph. You see, God was working it all for good. Now Jacob could see as he looked back that everything had a purpose and God was working it all out. And I say to you this morning, you've been through some rough times lately. Some of you have been some, through some really hard times. But you need to understand, God will work things together for good to those that love him. He always has and he always will because he promised to do that. Another lesson is God can work with unbelievers to accomplish his will. We see that in this passage. We've seen it in the scripture many times. God sets up kings and he takes them down. We might disagree with God when he does that. We might not like it, but God sets them up, and God takes them down. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17 says, The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basis of men. We've seen that happen sometimes. The basis of men God sets up as the ruler. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says, He removeth kings and he sets up kings. God's in the business of doing that. And then God can use unbelievers who are in those positions of authority. God can use unbelievers to accomplish his will. Remember Nebuchadnezzar. He threw the three Hebrew men in the fiery furnace. Oh, it was a traumatic thing for them to go through. It sure didn't seem like it was working out right. But it did. 
because those who tried to, were throwing them into the furnace died from the heat. They went down into the furnace. They weren't hurt at all. And the, the king was humbled as he looked to see what was happening. And it became a testimony to others that God is a great God. God worked it out. He used an ungodly king to accomplish his will. You remember Daniel in the lion's den. The king was, had to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And then the result was God protected, protected Daniel. And then the enemies of Daniel were thrown into the lion's den and they were eaten. And God received glory from it. And the king was humbled by it and had to admit how great God was. God used ungodly people to accomplish his will. You remember Ahasuerus, the king, in the story of Esther. Vashti was his queen. She refused to be displayed before those drunken buddies of his. And he said, she said, I'm not coming to that party. So he demoted her and sought for another queen. And it doesn't mean that the way he did it was right. It, that wasn't right. It wasn't right for him to get all those virgins together and then determine which one of those would be his wife. And he chose Esther Esther was put by was there by a decree from the from the king. She didn't have any choice in it. She was brought to that place. But God used an unwick uh, an ungodly wicked king to accomplish his will. Put Esther where she needed to be because later Esther would be the one to deliver her people as Haman tried to exterminate all the Jews. God knew what he was doing and God used ungodly kings to accomplish his will. You remember the Egyptian Pharaoh who killed all the babies, all the baby boys. And yet Moses, his parents put Moses in an ark of bulrushes and floated him out on the river. And the Pharaoh's daughter saw him and took, her in, took him in and uh, took him home to, and raised him as her son. And then you remember something happened that uh, he tried to defend his own and then he had to leave the country and Moses' life can be divided into three forties. The first 40 years, he was, trying, he was learning to be somebody in Pharaoh's house. The next 40 years, he was nobody out in the wilderness, and, but God was working with him. And in the last 40 years, he found out that God was everything. And if he was, any, if he was anything, it was to be for God's glory. And so all that was accomplished. Moses became the leader to take the children of Israel out of Egypt but God used an ungodly king to accomplish that. And the greatest example is when Pilate ordered the crucifixion of Jesus. And he ordered that Jesus would be crucified. A wicked thing for a wicked man to do. And yet God overruled it, and because of it, you are saved if you've trusted Jesus. Because a Savior has been provided, salvation is available, and the gospel has come to you, and you've trusted the Lord as your Savior. God overruled in wicked kings and accomplished his will. The same was happening when Jacob was taking this trip to, to Egypt. God was using an ungodly king to accomplish his will. Well, today we have a president of the United States who's against almost everything that is right, and that's not an understatement. But God will use him and accomplish his will. I feel sure of that. It might be to awaken his church. It might be to prepare the world for the Antichrist. It might be that very soon God's going to take us home. But I'll guarantee you this. 
I make you sure of this. God is not worried about the situation in the United States. God is not worried. God sets up kings. God takes them down. God uses ungodly people to accomplish his will. Leave it up to the Lord. The Lord will take care of it. Do what is right yourself, but the rest you've got to leave up to the Lord. He will take care of it. And then there's another lesson I'd like for you to see this morning from this passage, and that is children are a blessing from the Lord. You might say, well, Pastor, how'd you get that? Well, that's one reason I read all those names. <laughs> all those names, all those people were at one time babies. They were children. They were children who God knew by name. God knew everything about them. They were important to God. They fit in his plan for the nation of Israel. They're all very important. And regardless of the circumstances of their birth, they were still valuable in God's eyes. What do I mean by the circumstances of their birth? Well, those sons were born in a polygamous home. Is polygamy right? No. But they were born in a polygamous home. And uh, some of the things that went on there weren't right, but there was nothing wrong with the children themselves. I mean, except they were sinners, but God wasn't holding them accountable for the sins of their parents. In those lists are some who were born to Gentile women. In those lists were some who were born to idolaters. And in that list, there were two that were born to incest. And that was Judah through Tamar, his daughter-in-law. And she had twins, Therese and Zerah. And, uh, but God lists them there. And uh, you see, God doesn't condone or justify or approve of sin. But God that never condemns the child who, who is born as a result of that sin. And we should not as well. It's been the practice in this country many for years to refer to people uh, who, I won't use the word this morning, but uh, you know, they, they're born out of wedlock or they're born and they'll name the child something. Uh, you shouldn't do that. The sin's not right, but the child's not responsible. And God doesn't hold the child. And you should never look down on a child because of the birth circumstances. The Bible says that children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Every child is included in that verse. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Normally I preach a message just about that subject, but I didn't want to do that today because I knew it fit in this passage because you have the list of all those children, all those people who were born, and they're all special in God's eyes. Since the Roe versus Wade decision of the Supreme Court in January the 22nd, 1973, there's been over 63 million babies aborted in the United States. This, this decision by the Supreme Court is a travesty. I want to give you some reasons. It was a, it's a travesty. First of all, it discounts the fact that God is the one who's working in the womb to form the baby. God's the one that's doing that. And when an abortionist comes in, he's saying, God, stop what you're doing. I don't like it, and I'm going to change it. That's exactly what's happening because God's forming the baby. It also disregards the well-being of the mother who will live to regret her decision. Most mothers who have abortions live to regret their decision. Why do you think that Planned Parenthood does not want a mother to see a sonogram, is a sonogram they call it? 
a sonogram of the baby in the womb. Why do they not want them to see that? Because it's, it's been shown that almost 70% of mothers who see that decide they're not going to have an abortion. And so it really disregards the well-being of the mother when those decisions are made. That Supreme Court decision also devalued the worth of the baby. It considers the baby as just a, a, a piece of flesh, you know, that's developing, but it's not truly a child. And the Bible says children are inheritors of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward, so it devalues the worth of the baby. It also deploys enemies of God and and instruments of Satan uh, to attack the very image of God which every baby bears. The baby in the womb is bearing the image of God, and that Supreme Court decision uh, deployed all of these enemies of God and and Satan's instruments to attack the very image of God by killing these little babies. The devil loves that because he's attacking the image of God. It also destroys the life of a child who is planned by God and formed by God for a particular purpose. It also develops a nation which is ripe for the judgment of God. That decision helped develop our nation into a nation that's ripe for the judgment of God. And after 63 million abortions, it should not surprise us if God says, all right, I'm through with the United States. Maybe God will give us more time, but it shouldn't surprise us if he doesn't because they've actually developed a nation that's ripe for the the judgment of God. And also it depopulates a nation of many valuable people who would contribute to the well-being of our nation. That's why we as Christians should pray that God would enable us to get the, the Roe versus Wade decision reversed and changed. And there's an attempt, as you probably know, to do it through legislation. Because in the very decision of the Supreme Court, they said if it could be established that the baby in the womb is a person, then abortion would not be allowed. Because they would have to guarantee the rights of the person. And so there's an attempt today to get a Life at Conception Act passed. And if that legislation was passed, it would eliminate all these bad effects of that Roe versus Wade decision. In fact, you wouldn't even need to make the decision, have this decision reversed. It would be reversed by the legislation that says the baby is a person. And so this passage teaches us that life, Children are very valuable to God. He knows them all by name. They're important to him. And then there's one final lesson that we learn from this passage, and that is we are pilgrims in this earth. We are pilgrims. Believers are considered in the scripture as pilgrims headed toward a better place. We are sojourners and strangers in this wicked world. Our real home is heaven, and someday we will get there. Someday we'll be in heaven. In chapter 47, verse 7, uh, Jacob said, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. And my father's days, and he speaks of the days of his father's pilgrimage. Their life was a pilgrimage. They were not grounded here on this earth. And that was their only place. They knew that they were living here for a while, but they were going to a heavenly city, a heavenly city as referred to in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 9, it says, By faith Abraham sojourned, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. They declared plainly that they seek a country, a better country, that is heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God wants us to live with the attitude, we're only here for a while. We're passing through. We want to honor God while we're here, but we know we're going to a better place. We're, our roots are not so deep in this earth that we don't want to leave. We know we're going to a better place. And the Lord says, I am not ashamed to be people's God who believes that. I'm not ashamed to be called their God if they believe that I have a city prepared for them. And the Lord does. The Bible tells us it's in the new Jerusalem that's going to come down from God out of heaven. It's up there now. And he's prepared that city for us. Remember, Jesus says, I, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have go, told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We are pilgrims on this earth. I ask you this morning, are you a pilgrim? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We are to be pilgrims on this earth. As pilgrims, we are to make sure that we consult our Lord when we make decisions. As pilgrims, we are to make sure that we believe God keeps his promises. As pilgrims, we want, we want to believe and always assert that all things do work together for good. Things are going to be better. We're going to be in heaven someday. We're just passing through. God's going to work it out. As pilgrims, we have to, be, have to believe that God sometimes uses ungodly people to accomplish his will. As pilgrims, we understand every soul is very valuable. Children are blessing from the Lord. We are pilgrims in this land. Years ago, there was a song written, I believe it's a, a spiritual, and it said, I am a poor wayfaring stranger while, traveling, or while journeying through this world of woe. Yet there is no sickness, toil, nor danger in that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there no more to Rome. I'm going home, going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. I know dark clouds will gather o'er me. I know my way is rough and steep, yet beautiful fields lie just before me, and God's redeemed their vigils keep. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there to, to roam no more. I'm going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. That's where we're going, friend. We're going home. And as Jacob realized he was a pilgrim, we should realize, too, we're pilgrims. And we should live for Jesus and honor him while we're here because someday we're going to heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for allowing us to see lessons from this account of Jacob's move to Egypt. Lord, I pray that you might reinforce in our minds that we need to caution ourselves about getting too attached down here. We need to make sure that we're not worldlings but we're pilgrims, pilgrims headed to heaven, not whirlings headed for hell. Lord, if one's here today without Jesus, I pray that today they might put their faith and trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross of Calvary, and they'll trust him as their Savior, we ask in Jesus' name.